Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me today is founder and Monday morning quarterback, Troy Goodfellow. It is Wednesday afternoon, and I will be quarterbacking you throughout eternity, but I'm happy to be here. And also joining us, uh, first-time guest, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long while, is uh, freelance writer Phil Cameron. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here to talk about strategy games. What I had in mind for today's show was to discuss a lot of things that have been sort of on my mind, things that things little games that I wanted to bring up, but aren't perhaps uh, you know worth getting devoting an entire show to, or things that you know I just don't have the time to devote uh, to to treat giving it the full topic treatment. So we're going to be discussing a lot of smaller strategy games, uh, indie strategy games, some old business, uh, some evolving thoughts. Uh, so Phil, I, want, I wanted to start with you. Uh, you know, what, what have you been playing lately from the world of strategy? Well, I guess the main one is the new DLC for Men of War Assault Squad, which kind of um, puts in the other half of the skirmish maps. As in, it starts off with a massive defense, and then once you finish that, which you probably won't, you get to finish them off and attack. And it's just I don't know, two times as uh, epic as Men of War was before, which is pretty impressive, really. Yeah, th- there was a uh, mission in the original Men of War. Uh, it's just the second mission, but I think I think everyone remembers it pretty well. Uh, it's this rail yard defense, right, where you're sort of being hit by yeah. German mechanized units from all directions, and it's it's this grueling siege, uh, very difficult to handle on your own. And it kind of, it kind of seems to me that the the new DLC for Assault Squad kind of recreates that time and again. Uh, it's 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 really exciting. I mean, I, I had a scenario where uh, I think it was the Ger- I think it was the Germans holding out against the Russians, and I started in this like the peninsula of fortifications and get hammered from three sides. And it's just absolutely in- absolute insanity for about thirty minutes. Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's it's insane for thirty minutes, and then you kind of you beat them off with your last few guys, and then you're screwed because you've got to beat them off again all the way back to their base, and it's never possible really unless you're ridiculous. I mean, I was playing um, some of the preview, version, like the unreleased beta versions with some of the Digital Mindsoft guys, and they're a cut above what I can do by a long way. So they give me one tiny bit of bit to defend, and I can barely do that. <laughs> it's just embarrassing, really. But it feels amazing. Well, I mean, Men of War is one of those games that just it makes me embarrassed continually. It's not a game that I feel <laughs> like I can master or even understand. I mean, even surviving maps. I don't play a lot. I don't play much multiplayer. I'm playing it single player, and I just struggle with it. It is a super tough game. I mean, Company of Heroes was a slog for me, uh, the campaign, just trying to get through it. Everything was matched up. But it's, you know, preschool compared to, you know, Men at War. I think that's one of the reasons I love Men of War so much, is that it's... I'm just bodging my way through it, and that kind of works... Because it's such an intricate system, and the way it's all simulated, it means that if I kind of think maybe that'll work, it probably will, even if it doesn't work brilliantly. So um, I'm not a brilliant strategy game player, but I can still hold my own a little bit in Men of War if I do something stupid that might work. Whereas in in something like StarCraft or um, even Company of Heroes, it's pretty um, well-established rock paper scissors <laughs> format, and I'll just right. get screwed if I do something stupid. Right. Well, one one of the things I definitely appreciate, particularly about these skirmish maps, is as much as I might have issues with the way they sort of 
design their scenarios in Men of War Assault Squad where uh, th they all sort of follow the similar grinding pattern. Uh, I don't mind that so much because it's so spectacular, but nonetheless, you play a lot of it, you start to see how these scenarios are constructed. Uh, but, but one thing I do appreciate about them is it's a game that allows comebacks. It's, it actually takes a long time for you to actually be well and truly defeated. Uh, what, what's much more common is a bit of an ebb and flow where you know, you're trying to advance and you overextend, your forces get demolished, and you're thrown back on the defensive and yeah. you fall back. And it becomes this really like, well, it, I mean, this is, this is when war games tend to be the most exciting, right? It's when, well, that didn't work, and oh dear god, I've got to fend off this you know, panzer thrust, and I have nothing left. So somehow we've got to ride out the next five minutes with you know, a bazooka, a uh, you know, underpowered AT gun, <laughs> and a rifle squad. And you know, how are you going to hold out against that? And that you know, repeats several times in a scenario. And I mean, it's, it's, yeah. th these scenarios are pretty consistently exciting. That's what, yeah. made, that's what make, a, would make a combat mission, of course, such a great game um that sort of thing would happen all the time you now with uh men at war but what i seem to find is i kind of get the expect the feeling that well i just haven't lost yet and it's not telling me when i'm going to be losing is this really some great last stand where i can come back and i can actually fight these guys off or it's just delaying the pain and there's also the thing another thing i really love about it is the sort of sense of permanence you get with all your units and yeah. i mean they are kind of um, cannon fodder, but they've all got names and they've all got inventories, and yeah. it just makes me feel like I can turn these guys into a force, even if they're quite crap to begin with, right. which I don't tend to get in um, some other strategy games where it's just churning out units, baseless units. Yeah, there's there's this whole band of brothers XCOM thing, mm. and it's and it's just stories that erupt out of Men of War constantly. Yeah. It's incredible, like um, the rogue tank shell that wings off a windowsill and kills another tank by accident. Absolutely. Right, and I, I'm just, you know, I was playing it with uh, Sean Andrich from uh, Gamers with Jobs like last week, and we were, we had accidentally created a uh, skirmish battle on normal difficulty, and all we've ever managed to do is, uh, you know, achieve two-man victories under easy, uh, because easy in, easy in Men of War is what a rational person considers hard or normal, uh, but Men of War operates according to different rules. Uh, but anyway... So he and I were um, doing the Operation Torch scenario, which is this British amphibious landing, and then you you know battle your way into this uh, really heavily defended harbor. Uh, and it was just it was this terrific battle. Uh, you know, one of our superpowers was high explosives. So I mean, we just lay waste to this map, but eventually we overextended. We we got thrown out of the warehouse district in this in this brutal fight, and we we had completely lost the lost the mission. But one of the things that, you know, really struck me, it's, you know, I pulled the camera back and I just watched as these hordes of German troops began pouring into the map and advancing and, you know, leapfrogging and taking positions. And just what an incredibly cinematic experience it is. It, it, it does, when, you, when you pull back, it doesn't look like a normal RTS. It looks like a war movie is playing out in front of you with, like, hundreds of extras. Yeah, it's just that's what it is, really. It's it's a dozen different war movies going on at the same time, and you're just struggling to manage them all. That's that's how I see Win of War compared to. I mean, that's why I, I favor it over Company of Heroes. I think is because it feels so much more involved with me. Yeah, uh, I mean, Company of Heroes. It, for me, Company of Heroes has always been more of a pacing issue. Uh, you know, I, I prefer I, I like the way Men of War is a bit more of a a war gamer uh, mm. game. 
But uh, yeah, so the, so the DLC I would say is is pretty excellent. There there are not many games I will buy DLC for. Generally, by the time DLC comes out, I'm kind of through with the game. Uh, Men of War. I mean, anytime they release something, you know, I'm I'm at the front of the line with cash in hand. Yeah, definitely. Troy, what what have you been up to lately? Oh God, let's do. You want to start with a strategy, or you want to start with my dysfunctions? <laughs> uh, aren't they one and the same? Yeah, well, not really, no. Let's start with the strategy gaming. I haven't been doing a whole lot of strategy gaming, um, as I've said in the blog, for a number of reasons. First, it just takes so much time to get into a new strategy game, and the job's eating up a lot of time, and just trying to play the stuff for work and focus on that. Um, and my evenings, I want to try to learn some new things. But I have been getting into, into Panzer Corps. Finally, 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 we have to devote some time to that. Um, and I blogged uh, today... Uh, this is Wednesday, we're recording this. Um, I blogged today about listening to last week's show that you did with Corey Banks and with Julian Murdoch, and I said in the post, that it was really you know, one of the best uh, 3MAs we've had in a very long time. It's really one of the model shows, I think. And you guys had an excellent job on it. Um, and it you know, had me thinking a lot about my reactions to Panzer Corps. My react- we did a show on Panzer General, and, and we were kind of hard on Panzer General as a model, and as a game. Uh, it's a game that I don't think has aged very well, uh, and a game model that I don't think has aged very well. And as I got into Panzer Corps, here I was playing it, and, you know, some of the old nostalgic feelings started coming back. You know, you move your troops around. I had the same feeling as playing Panzer Tactics on the DS, though, and that didn't last very long. And they haven't lasted very long with Panzer Corps either. Well, I still think it's a very well-made game, and I think the UI is excellent. I think it's it's really... I think Corey's right. If this is a, a war game, if you don't like war games, you don't know if you like war games, you want to dabble with them, you like the idea of the History Channel type stuff, and you just want to move tanks and smash them into each other, this is not a bad way to go. Um, but you made the point last week about how you just get tired of bumping into strong points all the time. And it's I have the same problem with Panzer Tactics on the DS. I'm having the same problem here, that it just gets tiring to have this great blitzkrieg you're planning, because, you know, you're playing the Nazis, and you should be just running roughshod over the Ukraine. And there's this freaking pillbox that holds you up there, and you end up missing your decisive victory by two turns because of this freaking pillbox. And it's always that one guy, and this stupid artillery you can't get to. And there's got to be a way around it. It ends up being this frustrating puzzle all the time on every map and every single map. And it doesn't feel like a strategic challenge so much as a, can you guess the secret route to get around this pillbox? Um, and that, now you were saying before the show that you've kind of come around and changed your mind again. So I want to figure, am I just, am I going to get re-enchanted? Because I think about you know, how C.S. Lewis said there's, there are these phases we go through in life. You're, you're, you're unenchanted with something because you don't know anything about it. Then you're enchanted because, oh, wow, this is wonderful. Then you're disenchanted. Oh, my God, I'm bored and it sucks. Then you get re-enchanted because you rediscover the magic. Am I going to get re-enchanted or am I going to stay disenchanted? I think what, what kind of changed my attitude to uh, Panzer Corps... Uh, part of it was playing more multiplayer. Again, Sean Andrich and I are in the midst of a just savage uh, back-and-forth well, game. Multiplayer always makes things different. Yes. So I, w- I want to hear more about that in a bit. Okay. Uh, but but the, bi- the big leap that I made with Panzer Corps 
is uh, you brought up the decisive victory, and that's where was really where my sticking point was as well. Uh, you have to complete a scenario within a ridiculously low turn limit in order to achieve a decisive victory that gives you more prestige and unlocks uh, new missions in the campaign. Well, so, so, but the, so, sometimes even the ordinary victory turn limits are pretty freaking hard. Right, but but those I find are just they're more reasonable. Like I've had yeah. I've had a few games sure. where I beat it by a comfortable margin. And a couple games where it was the very last move yep. of the last turn, and right. I, I, I got my victory, uh, and that's and that's great stuff, and and, and I love that. What what I find, and, and this is I think what developers, why developers should be really cautious about the type of achievements uh, they they include in games, the type of challenges they set for players. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the presence of the decisive victory condition is distracting. It is tempting. But it is unreasonable. Uh, if if you are playing it for the decisive victory, you are not playing a war game. You are playing a puzzle game. You are playing a game that depends on perfect foreknowledge of the way this scenario is designed, which means you're going to play it time and again. You know, figuring out the exact right combination of moves and units, and there's there's a very limited approach to achieve the decisive victory, and that's not fun. It doesn't feel like it's a cha- you know, it's not there as a challenge for a war gamer. Right. It's a challenge there for the obsessive. Now, here's here's the question though: Is this like? Because I haven't had many, I haven't had any decisive victories in campaigns that in missions that I've completed, sucking otherwise. What are the benefits for getting a, a, a decisive victory? I mean, if I get one in Poland, for example, so I suppose I do do it in 12 turns, what does that change in the West? Do I get some new special mission that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise? Because if so, yes. then it's not just, this isn't just an achievement. This isn't just a badge. This isn't just a reward. There is actually some real gameplay reason for me to have the yes. decisive victory. And so it's not just an issue of a reward or an achievement. This is a game mechanic that's actually quite valid and important. Right, and, and that's that, that's a very good point, and, and, and that's another reason I think really what they need to do is sort of patch the decisive victory conditions. Uh, if, you, if you complete the Polish scenario, for instance, in the, in the allotted time for a decisive victory, uh, you proceed immediately to a really tough uh, but good invasion of, Norm, of a Norway scenario. Right, oh, yeah, you mentioned that in the podcast, that's right. Yeah, so the only way to get that mission, uh, unless you can play it as a one-off scenario, right. uh, but if the only way to get your campaign to take that branch is to achieve the decisive victory in Poland. So and, and that and that repeats. Like when you're invading France, the only way to enable Operation Sea Lion, sea Lion is to win the French scenarios uh, with a decisive victory. Just uh, like in just like in the original Panzer General. Right. So, so multiplayer. Let's talk about multiplayer for a bit because I haven't done any multiplayer yet. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope we can. I, I mean, I'd love to play. I'd love to play this with Bruce Garrett because I know we'd hate it. Uh, I know we'd have some hilarious because our War on the East scenario just always got bogged down because it takes too freaking long. These don't. But why is your multiplayer with Corey going so well? Uh, well, it's not going well with Corey. Corey Corey's a coward, and uh, he he bailed out on our multiplayer game. Okay. I think. Uh, but Sean Andrich. Uh, Sean Andrich. Okay. Um. So all, all those games with the job guys look alike. It, it, it's it's really true. They're they're all. They're they're all nerds, they're all classically nerdy. Uh, you know, for if, our, our complaints about the single player scenarios uh, do not apply to the multiplayer scenarios because they are they are much more dynamic. They are much more they are much more like good board game scenarios, right? Where there might be some interesting asymmetry going on. Uh, they're designed much more for like 
both sides to be moving and racing to objectives right. and battling back and forth. It's not like this strong point gap, strong point gap uh, approach to scenario construction. So uh, the, the scenario in the middle of with, with Corey uh, is this really cool uh, Polish scenario where uh, I'm the Poles, he's the Germans, uh, and you start between these, as the Poles, you're, you're between two rivers. And, you know, sort of a Tigris and Euphrates situation. And you start at the west end of the map with all your heavy forces, and then you have some light forces scattered all the way down to the east where there's this confluence of the rivers, and that's clearly the key to the whole map. The Germans start to your north and south. And so what you've got to do as the Poles is you've got to race eastward and defend the most important objective. But at the same time, you're also fighting along this really long and ever-lengthening uh, northern and southern flank. And the Germans are doing the same thing in reverse. So you get this really interesting, like, it, it's a drag race with armies. Uh, and along the way, they're exchanging, you know, pot shots at each other uh, across these two rivers. So it's just it's, it's just totally unlike anything you're going to get in the campaign. Uh, and it's And it's you know, probably unlike anything you're get, you're going to get in a serious war game, uh, but it, but it's a fascinating like thought experiment, right? Like how can how right. can I see race to seize this objective while defending these two really long fronts? That sounds like something else to look into. Uh, then I mean, I I'm going to be playing more Panzer Corps. I'm going to keep pushing forward through it because um, I do think it has because it's an interesting to see these whole these remakes coming back. I do like a lot of what Lord's uh, studio is doing. Um, uh, Lords and Slytherin, two good uh, UK studios, doing some really neat stuff. Um, so I, I do want to keep pushing on it. It's and now that my schedule is getting a little bit more clear, and that I have a blogging plan up actually uh, for the month, uh, get some more strategy gaming in and some other gaming as well. Uh, but some actually some serious strategy stuff in now that I have plans and strategies and the like to not make the blog fall apart. Yeah, as, so, yeah. as you continue with Panzer Corps, I just strongly recommend that you ignore the uh, decisive victory conditions by and large. I think they they will nag at you and they will make the experience significantly more frustrating. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I felt like I keep going back to them. I was like, I, I'm the Germans. I should be able to take Warsaw in 10 turns. <laughs> I mean, that's I shouldn't be, you know, sitting around, you know, hanging outside Warsaw. I just sucking for five turns trying to take out some horse that's sitting there. There's a horseman guarding Warsaw. Why is the horseman guarding Warsaw killing all my dudes? And and if you played war I mean this is this is why War in the East came up last week. If if you play if you play a game that really like illustrates sort of the excitement and challenge of Blitzkrieg warfare, uh playing this sort of you know, again, grind heavy war game can be really frustrating like you want you want to experience the like exhilaration of just launching these bold attacks and boy is this it, this is frequently not the game for that yeah I, I i i should show it to some of my non-grunyard friends and see how they react to it i'd like to watch them live play it and record it do a let's play audio video recording of them trying to play this and figure it out see some people with a passing knowledge of history and some without and catch the reactions i think it'd be very uh, interesting Maybe I'll film that. So let's see. So I have been playing... Uh, what, I, what I've been putting the most time into lately is uh, an indie real-time strategy game uh, called Akron. 
now, now you probably now you probably heard about this uh, if you if you follow strategy games. It, it, it received some attention on uh, blogs. I think on Rock Paper Shotgun. Yeah. Uh, a year or so ago. Uh, so it, it's a time travel RTS. And, and and in time travel in an interesting way, not in a command and conquer way. Yeah, I don't understand how this can possibly work. So I need I need some sort of explanation going on. Here. Yeah, because when I watched the video a few years ago, and people said, "Oh, you're talking about Akron in the podcast," I was like, I did not understand uh, what exactly was happening. And he was like, how? "So you have to explain how this works to me, and explain to the listeners, and make sure you link to the videos at the bottom, yeah, because otherwise, they're not going to understand this at all." So go through it very slowly for them, Rob. Okay, so I was with you guys. I, I thought I didn't understand how this would work in a million years. But once I played it, I was blown away by how well this game carries off this concept of sending units you know, back in time and changing decisions you made in the past. Uh, where to begin? Um, so superficially, it, look, it looks like an, an average RTS, and in fact, a very primitive one. Uh, the, gra- the graphics and art are, are, not, are not great. Uh, they're not, they not very clear or helpful in, in what you're doing, and it's kind of one of my main beefs with the game. Uh, it's, it's this really excellent system that just you know, doesn't, it makes itself much less accessible, I think, through, uh, through lack of production values in some, in some key areas. Uh, but you know, I, can, I can set that aside because... So what you what you're doing is that it begins to play out like a normal RTS, but you know, as part of your as part of your uh, heads up display, your your interface, you have a you have a timeline in the bottom, and uh, it shows it, it shows things that are happening in the game world. So like if you're dealing a lot of damage, you'll see some like thick uh, blue bars appear as you inflict damage. If you're suffering a lot of damage, you'll see some thick red bars appear. Uh, and the reason this the reason this becomes crucial is so as time keeps moving forward, your opponent can jump back uh, about like you know five minutes and change decisions from earlier in the match. And so a sequence that played out one way, where you just moved an army out into the middle of the map, and now that's your rally point, uh, you'll be in the present, and your opponent will lay an ambush for those forces about three minutes back. <laughs> so you'll be in the present, your army and your troops are there, and they are fine, sitting in the middle of the map ready for this attack. You will see on your timeline suddenly huge damage is being dealt. You jump back and you check what's happening and you see the force that is present and healthy in the present uh, is three minutes ago being decimated by an ambush. Uh, Now the way this propagates through the timeline is there are time waves and it's it's like on a regular schedule like every, uh, every 30 seconds or so uh, a time wave crosses, uh, you know, crosses the present, and it carries with it changes from from the past. Uh, so, when the when the changes from the past catch up with the present, you're going to see those units that were all fine and good in the present suddenly they'll all be gone. They just vanish because, of course, they were destroyed three minutes ago. Uh, so what you can do is you now you can jump back. And say, okay, he's laying this ambush. Well, I'm going to ambush him, and I'm going to send more forces out there. I'm going to send them out a little earlier, and now you're changing that timeline. And so you've got this, you know, this sort of tit for tat response uh, as the two sides try to top each other's uh, alterations of the timeline. 
So I was trying to explain this to uh, my friend J.P. Grant. Uh, he writes for Gamers with Jobs. And where he sort of ran into problems is, okay, so how does this... Why can't the two sides then just keep going back and fixing their mistakes and you never really get anywhere? Uh, there, there's two dynamics at work. Um, one, things fall into the unplayable past. So beyond five minutes in the past, you can look at what happened. You can see the map. You cannot give orders. Uh, because you are li you are you are your resource for giving orders is chrono energy. It costs no chrono energy to give an order in the present. But every time you go back in time, and the further back you go, the more energy it costs to issue one of these orders, and the bar slowly refills. So if you're just altering decisions from like a minute ago, you know you can give a lot of orders. You probably won't even notice uh, that that you're depleting a a re a, re a replenishable resource. If you jump back, like, you know, 4 minutes, 30 seconds, just as things are about to fall into the unplayable past, uh, just ordering one infantryman to go in a different direction will consume all your energy. You'll be able to give, like, one order. So th then this becomes one of the resources you have to manage. Like, who is going to be making the most fruitful alterations to the timeline? You know, where, where can you do the most good to change events? You know, like, some, a disaster might have befallen you 4 minutes ago. And if you try and go back and fix it, you just don't have the energy to significantly alter events, where you'd be better off uh, changing how you responded to that, you know, because you, you can issue more orders. So is this not going to turn into a game of reactions rather than strategy in a way? If you're, if you're benefited from changing things more recently, then that, reacting quickly to a scenario is going to be more important than figuring out what to do four minutes ago. Right. I think the, the, the leap you have to make is you, you have to start treating your ability to change the timeline as a resource in itself. I mean, that's a tactic in itself. So if you're just reacting and trying to fix mistakes, you're probably going to lose because the other guy's sort of dictating the terms, mm -hmm. and oh, he's right. making smart alterations in, at several different points along the timeline. Does this mean that you can also do things like bluffs by sending your unit somewhere in the present and then quickly nipping yes. by and, Oh, God. <laughs> this sounds horrible. That's, that, <laughs> but the thing is, when you see it working, uh, you know, once, once, you, uh, once you start uh, thinking fourth-dimensionally, uh, as Back to the Future might say, yeah. uh, once you start doing that, uh, the, the possibilities become really dizzying. It's kind of a giddy experience to uh, open the trap door on your opponent or see something go disastrously wrong that you thought was pretty much in the bag. I just, just thought about using a force as both bait and ambusher. That sounds horrible. So, so how, do you, how do you gather this, this chrono resource? That is, is, just a re is just a refilling bar. It, it comes in at a fixed rate. So if you go back like all the way to you know, where, where order is the most expensive, your bar completely drains and then slowly refills again. Okay. Uh, if you jump back a minute, you give an order, and it just drains a little bit, and then it has less to refill. So it's not it's not a resource you have to harvest. It's just, uh, you know, it, it it's like a it, it it's a co it's cost of doing business across the timeline. And is it um like what kind of game is it most similar to without the time stuff? Is it sort of a command and conquer real time base yes. building? All right. Yes. Uh, so I, as as far as like the RTS that's powering it, um, 
in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it's it's pretty simple. It does some interesting things with a command hierarchy that I'm not really sure work brilliantly, uh, but it, it's it's definitely a game where I have to wrestle with it a lot to get it mm. to do fairly simple things, and that can be a real frustration. But it's something I bear uh, I put up with in part because uh, a, a lot of times what's most important is using simple tactics, uh, but but effectively across the timeline. So. So you know, in in one match, I was playing with a uh, w- with one of the development team. Uh, he he sent in a unit, an air unit, and nuked my base, uh, and then followed that up with a huge aerial assault, and then ground troops followed up, and I was really unprepared for it. Uh, and so I just went back, and uh, you know, I went back and I sort of laid an ambush. And where he made a mistake is then he tried to just brute force his way so that the same attack would work, and he sent in more units. Right. And each time, each time he got there, I mean, I just had I just had so many troops waiting for him at my base uh, that he was throwing he was throwing resources away, and I was able to defend it pretty effectively. So while all this was going on, I was also jumping back and now sending units, uh, raiding units, out to the far edges of the map around his base, so that when he was all distracted with uh, making sure his attack was working, I would give them the order to go in and attack his economic resources. <laughs> and so, in the present, he started watching the the resources he was using to build new troops and send them into the, in, into the fray. He saw suddenly his resources just collapsed. Uh, because while he was distracted fighting me, uh, in, in the present, at my base... Uh, I was two minutes back with some raiders running around his resource points, destroying all his collectors. And so in the present, his economy suddenly didn't exist and hadn't existed for about two minutes. Uh, so a lot of his units that he'd built in the intervening time and had currently, you know, was, they were currently engaged, suddenly winked out. Is the computing, well, it seems like this is just way too complicated for a computer to yeah, see, and This is, I mean, <laughs> time paradoxes here. Um, <laughs> I, this sounds very complicated. You say it actually play. It's easy. It's easy to grok. It's not that hard to figure out. The time lines are pretty clear. It's oh, it's 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 totally different. Like it's definitely like it's a mental leap. Like you're going to have to start thinking about this in a completely different way. Start thinking about, uh, you know, causality. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely hard to learn. Uh, but it's a really it's a really interesting thing to learn. It's a really exciting thing to learn. It's not easy. Uh, and I, I couldn't say that it is. Uh, but once you start playing around with these things and you start getting more comfortable with manipulating time, uh, the more sophisticated it becomes. And how close is it to being finished? I thought, is it still heavily in development? From, from what I understand, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reviewing it. Oh, okay. Uh, so what I've got is apparently late beta code, uh, but it's about, to, it's about to go gold and should be coming out uh, by the end of this month. Uh, oh. They pushed an early build on me uh, so that they could get it, so they could hit a print deadline. Uh, so, so I'm playing a pretty, I'm pre- playing a pretty late build, uh, and it seems like it's it's very close to release. Uh, I mean, I I have some, you know, I I really wish you know the fundamentals of RTS design were were a bit healthier here, uh, ability to distinguish units from one another, uh, ability to 
make them just go where you freaking tell them, uh, <laughs> as opposed to having really awful pathfinding, uh, destroy an attack because half the force. Yeah. Like, I'd imagine when each order costs you um, resources, you don't want to mess up yes. that order with bad pathfinding. Yeah, uh, but but once you once you sort of train yourself to overcome the limitations of of the design, then you're just playing around with time, and it's it's really intoxicating. It it's 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 very difficult. It's a completely new way of thinking. Uh, but it's it's really satisfying to see some of the uh, some of the things that are possible, uh, in, including I mean, the developer is telling me some of the things that the communities come up with uh, are just are just kind of staggering. Uh, for instance, you can go back in time and change orders, but there also uh, there's also a structure called the Chrono Porter. Uh, that, you know, like its name, it's like a teleporter, but it sends units <laughs> into the past. It can even send them into the unplayable past. Oh, wow. Uh, so, he described one maneuver that has sort of come up within the community called the uppercut, uh, unplayable past. Uh, the, the uppercut. Where you let an enemy attack go off, and it's, you know, it, it's savaging you, uh, you know, in the middle of the timeline. And you've still got a lot of troops in the present. Uh, they haven't. the The effects of this attack have not yet caught up with the present. So you send a massive army uh, back into the unplayable past, and you can't control it. But suddenly, uh, you know, and your opponent can't do anything about it. That's the, that's what that's the genius yeah. of it. Suddenly, these forces just show up that weren't there when this timeline originally happened, uh, and now an attack runs smack you know, smack dab into a major a major force. Uh including units can actually reinforce themselves from the future is how insane <laughs> this is. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, you this can is have... just I might brains breaking here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that can happen in this game. Uh, and, and so it, you know, I, I I give it a lot of slack because this is this is a concept I mean you know, we we can link the videos, uh, yeah. the gameplay videos of Akron. I don't think they're going to help because until you see <laughs> it, until you actually start doing it yourself, uh, a lot of this stuff isn't going to isn't going to seem clear. I'm just sort of laying out the stuff that I've seen, the stuff I've heard of. Um, so I mean, it, it's it, it's been a, it's been a lot of ways a, a frustrating game, but my God, it's so it's so different. It's different. I got. I got. I got to get my hands on this. I mean, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, it's really. Got to get my hands on this. For some reason, it's reminding. Like not mechanics-wise, but it's reminding me of the feel I got when seeing Perimeter at the beginning from the first time, because that seemed so weird and alien, um, and just odd. And now this is coming along. It's just weird, but awesome. Yeah, it's definitely something that uh, you know. I'm I'm not totally sure like what a warm recommendation. I mean, the most I think I can do is just tell you like, well, here's what you can do in this game. Does that sound some like something you might enjoy? <laughs> uh, because I mean, that's it, it. Really, I think depends on your taste for the bizarre and the uh, bizarre and perhaps uh, somewhat brilliant. Uh, so so that's Acron. I'm, I, it may come up again. I, I may I may want to uh, get some of the dev team on the show at some point because uh, I would be really interested to talk to someone who takes a look at the RTS genre and says, you know what this needs, you know this, you know what this complicated, difficult genre really needs is uh, <laughs> the ability to manage multiple timelines. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just gonna stop right there. <laughs> There's not much you can say, really. No, except, I mean, like, the videos made no sense to me. 
because uh, you and I were talking about this the other night, Rob, about this game. So I looked up some of the videos, and it was just like I was. It was. It, 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 it was gibberish. I mean, I might have been, might as well have been sitting there watching Lithuanian folk dancing <laughs> for as much sense as these videos made to me. Um, and I actually play RTSs, and I don't folk dance. I mean, I do a very. <laughs> I, I do a, a, a pretty good waltz, and not a bad foxtrot, but folk dancing's way off. But yeah, this was something. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to check that out based on your, not recommendation, but your description. Yeah, I suppose well, you just be glad. Because you, you, well, we want to be clear on this, Rob. You're not necessarily recommending it. You want to preempt your review, but you're describing it as something very cool. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure where I'm going to come down with it in terms of recommendation. I'm, I'm, st- I'm still working through that. But I definitely think there, there's a class of gamer that should absolutely pick this up. You know, I mean, I think yeah. if you have a taste for, if you have a taste for you know, things that are really out there, uh, if you play a lot of Russian games, for instance, uh, I, th- <laughs> I think that uh, I, I think Akron is, is right up your alley. Uh, if you play a lot of Russian games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that's that's been taking up a lot of my review time uh, this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so one one of the uh, other games I've been playing is uh, Vertex Dispenser. Uh, now, now, Phil, I think I think you played that. Yeah, I played a bit of it, and yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> okay. it's, it's it's a similar sort of mindfuck. Really, it's just completely um, mental. It's uh, it's too much information for me to hold in my head at once, which makes it really difficult for me to play. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So why don't you uh, why don't you explain a bit about what Vertex Dispenser is? I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, okay. So it's a real time strategy game, but um, you're a little arrow on a um, sort of triangle based sphere, and you're trying to hold um, points on each triangle, and then you've also got other people trying to stop you, and you need to move as fast as possible to <laughs> claim as many triangles as possible. And then different colors do different things, but then oh, it's just too much for my brain. Really, it's it does a similar thing to me as Space Game, isn't it? I can start off um, with the first bits of it, but then once it gets to the full blown, I'm just gone. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, it's it's definitely. Uh, I think it was described <laughs> to me. <laughs> the, the hesitations begin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is actually a game where I had where where I had an editor email me, and it's like, so, uh, Rob. How the hell does this actually work? Yeah. And uh, so, I, so I had to I had to write a little essay on exactly like so so here here's what Vertex Dispenser actually is. Uh, it's a tough game to describe. Uh, it, it it's a it's sort of a hybrid. It, it's sort of a hybrid shooter, uh, RTS, and puzzle game. Yeah. Uh, all at once. And. And this this really can't be understated. So I was playing the single player campaign, and at first it's very simple. You just capture these little you capture vertexes. They give you little powers. Uh, you do battle with the other uh, vertex dispensers running around these uh, geodesic grids, and uh, then it introduces a puzzle mechanic uh, about the way colors work. And the colors have a hierarchy, where uh, you know blue is the most common point. And then purple and white are the most valuable. Therefore, the powers they unlock are the most powerful. Uh, so these are the rarest points. And what you do is the order in which you capture things, uh, cr- you know, determines what color a point can be. Uh, and so if you if you picture like a you know a point at the sun that is that is uh, a vertex of several different triangles, they're all adjacent to one another. 
when, when you change that point's color, when you take it, it, it turns blue when you capture it. Now, none of its adjacent points can be blue because they can't be adjacent to a point of the same color. So they all turn, you know, the next point you capture would be red. And from there, what you're trying to do is force points to be the highest possible value. And that right there becomes a puzzle game. Yeah, this is the point where I gave up, I think. Was yeah, it, pretty, like I, I thought I didn't even realize that was how the points worked. I thought they were just different points in the game, and I had to try and capture the ones which were already there. No, you could change the colors. And yeah, you're, you're changing the colors based on the order you capture them. Yeah. And... <laughs> but the thing is, you can't. It's it's not like you've got time to think no. about this. You've, no. you've got to do this as fast as possible because there's other people trying to stop you, and they're going much faster than you can. So trying to hold this in your brain at the same time as fighting our forces and building units and things is mental. It's just too much for my brain. Right, and that's, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of, uh, you know, if, to get through the campaign, I had to turn the difficulty all the way down at, for <laughs> one mission, uh, because it's, as you're trying to solve these puzzles uh, and arrange these delicate little structures of points and get them the right, get the right colors so you can, so you can win the game, uh, you got these other vertex dispensers coming at you and destroying your points and tearing into your territory, and they're basically—I mean, if you're not fast enough—and and I wasn't—they're destroying your delicate little jigsaw puzzle as fast as you can fix it. Uh, and it just—it become—it can be—it can get a little frustrating. Uh, but I don't know. At the same time, what what I found happening with vertex dispenser is that it was a game that. I would get frustrated, and I would throw up my hands, and you know, storm away from the computer in a huff. Uh, and then five minutes later, I would start. I would be. I would be capturing points in my head and figuring out, you know, if there's a better way to go about mm-hmm. playing the game. And then, you know, like a swallowed Capistrano, there I was back at my computer, uh, trying again to to win this game. Uh, I think there's there's a danger with a design like this. I think it, it requires a certain threshold of cleverness uh, yeah, to, to really. That's to... why I like the space game. It's a similar sort of. Um, yeah, you just have to be a certain level of intelligence to be able to get past it. I often, I actually think, I wonder what it's like multiplayer because I think when everyone's struggling to hold all that in their heads, it might be more fair to you. But I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I haven't played it in a in a, in a week or so, a couple weeks. Um, so I mean, I didn't have I didn't really have time to to do much multiplayer. I also I, I also don't think the community is very big. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I would create lobbies and they would just sort of sit empty, and I couldn't find other lobbies. Uh, so most of my experience with multiplayer actually came with uh you know came with skirmish, uh, and there and there I could adjust the difficulty and uh, and and find ways to make it. Uh, a lot of fun. It would be interesting to play it. Uh, you know, I mean, the the comparison that that came to mind for me uh, was a bit of a, you know, it, it it's like it, it's a bit like Worms for members of Mensa. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh God. I can see that. Yeah, I'm gonna pass on that then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, see, but but the thing is, like, there's something there. There's something really. Uh, there's something really compelling about it in the in the truest sense of that word. Like once you start doing it, and once you right. start like, capturing these points, and it's got these great like introversion style graphics and subtle music cues. Oh, God, uh, stop making me buy things, Rob. Oh, I can just, I can just imagine. Like 
Yeah, introversion is like one of my buzzwords. <laughs> introversion is one of my trigger points. You say that, and I'm going to start buying shit. <laughs> Here's my money, take it. Yes, exactly. No matter how bad it is, the introversion, I'm just going to buy it. I think it's interesting to compare, in a way, um, its caveat is almost similar to Archon's in a way, in that it's, it's well, you have to train your way yourself to think a different way, except right. Archon's got a cool, interesting um, time travel mechanic, and Vertex Suspense is just a weird puzzle mechanic. So, I mean, it might be just as rewarding, but it's you're not instantly drawn in by something cool. You're just thinking, what is going on here? Um, which might be my problem with that, I guess. Yeah, see, but I thought that would work with Space Chem, but Space Chem just did nothing for me after a while. Oh, really? Space Chem just, it just became, you know, numbers, letters, and okay, so I did, little flowcharts. I didn't I play Space Chem at all, so, so what's Space Chem? Um, it's more puzzle game than strategy, I guess. It's basically yeah, it's a um, chemistry test. Yeah, well, it's not. It's more no, about it's really building. Um, it's more about programming than chemistry. You're yeah. bu- basically building circuits to um, combine and detach atoms, which then get um, combined into new new forms, and then you yeah. ship them off to somewhere else. But the problem with I found with that is that it's got very two different, very different games within itself. It's got the in the factories where you're setting up these. Um, Lineups are these um, sort of conveyor belts of stripping atoms and putting them back together right. again and everything. Then you've also got you can have like multiple factories in one level, so you'll be making the atoms in this place and then you're moving them to this place, which then needs to turn them into something different to get them in the pipes to somewhere else. And the problem I had is I could create the atoms that it wanted me to create, but I couldn't create them efficiently enough or inefficiently enough that the um, ticks of each atom coming out were fast enough or not fast enough to come out into the right places. Yeah. So all my pipes got backed up and everything exploded. And yeah, I just could not figure it out. I mean, I I love I like a good puzzle game. Um, as long as it's not mixed in my strategy games, it looks like a good puzzle game because I've I have friends who've played it and recommended it, but it just did not hold me long enough. I just don't know if I got stumped and just quit, or I just stopped. I forget whereabouts, but pretty early on actually. I think the thing it requires is someone who wants to refine a technique that already works, which is not me. I, I, if it works, yeah. I'm fine. I'm done with it. Whereas other people, other people I know, just sit there and refine their cycles yep. until they're perfect. Well, there's. I mean, this is this sort of reminds me of uh, the, the wall I eventually hit with Patrician, yeah. uh, which is it's very easy once you when you're a small trader. You know, you 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 buy low, sell high. That that's easy. But once you start changing the market with your actions and you're managing these complex chains of inputs and production lines and trade, uh, it becomes re- a very different game. Yes. It, it it goes from this this sort of simple and satisfying like yeah you know creating a successful little business to this really uh, I mean God it's, it's it for me it just becomes a a little bit torturous trying to manage these these streams of inputs and outputs and that's a bit like that that sounds a bit like what's going on with Space Camp. Yeah, it's, it, it is that. It's it's you're taught with the single factory how to do things, and then you get moved into this meta game that's much more complicated, and it involves changing how you do your factories, which you weren't taught how to do really. So some people um, swam and I sank, basically. But uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like if there's any genre, I mean, th- I mean, this is this is the thing with strategy. I mean, this is this is why like it's not for everyone is about about the weakest thing you can say about any one of these games. <laughs> well, who, yeah. well, who is it for? Uh, because in strategy, I mean, if if you want to do something ambitious, you 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 know, or, or or something really inventive or challenging, you've really got to be willing to leave people behind. Uh, you know, I mean, vertex dispenser, like you can you can turn down the difficulty. 
uh, quite a bit where where it's you know maybe it's even maybe even too easy. Uh, the difficulty difficulty scales decently, but I still think there there is there is a threshold where people are just not going to figure out the system at work here, or or if they do, it's it's just not for them. It's just it, you know it's it's too much mental gymnastics uh, for too little reward. But there are people, uh, you know, who are, who want that sort of like uh, logic puzzle experience you know something they can they can really just sort of tinker with in their head and you know i mean they're you know they should have, they should have games too yeah um i think that's right but at the same time they might not like that's the problem with journalists i guess is we we might not be those people i'm not sure like um well, there's many high intellectual journalists in a way or very scientifically minded ones at least so something like Vertex Defenders. I mean, I mean, some people eleven. I mean, some people are writing about it, right? So yeah. I mean, if there weren't people out there evangelizing for it, I wouldn't have heard of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so, it, I mean, in a way it's almost because it's so weird and original. Yeah, we, more we, than because it's we, good. We do like our weird. That's right. <laughs> look Just at this freaky of, thing. Yeah, exactly. And anything original is going to get us to look up. Yeah. So speaking of weird, you're you're both playing uh, sports games. Oh God! Well, uh, sort <laughs> yeah. of sports games uh, yeah. that that uh, that are both daunting and a bit, and a bit puzzling to me. Uh, so so Troy, you've been playing a lot of out of the park. I well, I've been playing some out of the park. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm continuing, of course, my baseball league, um, which has been. I think we're in their fifth season now, sixth season. I don't know. Uh, managed by our wonderful uh, commissioner, Bill Abner. Uh, editor-in-chief of Game Shark and uh, one of the guys at No High Scores, good friend, uh, old friend. We've worked together for a very long time and commissioner of our league and regularly in the playoffs and the commissioner of the league. I think that's entirely coincidental. I'm not accusing any of his players of using steroids or anything like that, despite the multiple <laughs> most viable player awards and the Cy Young awards and all of that. I'm sure they're all all justified and well-earned. Um it's it's tough, uh, and there's a new one. I mean, this is there's a new one every single year. I mean, people complain about the new Maddens and the new Fifas every year, a new version. But there's a new edition of this text-based, mostly text-based, management simulation every year. So I have my copy of Out of the Park Baseball 12. <laughs> and, and, the, and you can roll your, roll your the league. league from... The league is going to be rolling over into this edition the, as soon as we wrapped up with the playoffs. Uh, which will probably end uh, this week or so. We're going to roll over into this uh, new edition. I haven't played uh, the new one yet, but of course it's got new menus and new features and all kinds of improvements, hopefully to the financial system, which is kind of broken. Um, and, you know, I look at it a little bit and put it around a bit, and I just keep wondering, you know, how much more detail can they first squeeze into one of these? And how much more detail do I actually want in my baseball sim? Well, that, that was uh, going to be my question because it's it's always been pretty detailed. I mean, the improvements have to be pretty marginal at this point. What 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 is left to be changed? Well, I mean, one of the big things they've been changing a lot is the way the with the the, the financial system, the, the way the draft system is done, the way the waiver system is done. All of this off season financial crap uh, that you know is what baseball management is about for a lot of people. Though for me, it's always been about, you know, you, you draft a great player coming out of college, and you, do I leave him in the minors? Do I bring him up? I mean, how many levels of rookie ball do I need, right? I mean, just give me a triple A, double A, single A, one level of rookie ball. I don't need 
300 players on my league system. I can't track them all. Um, the way out of the park baseball 11 is running, I have maybe a minor league full of half-star prospects, kind of worthless crap. A part of this is because my team was running in the red for four seasons, so I couldn't sign anybody anyway. Um, because I signed one stupid contract that wait. So you also you also have to manage the the business side no, of, I mean, of you, the you, franchise. You, you run the business pretty much. I mean, okay. you, you you run the business and you set up your lineups, and we simulate a week, a week to ten days, and then we come back and change everything up, and then we simulate another week to ten days, and keep coming back and back and back and that. Okay, hang on. So are you also adjusting things like ticket oh, yeah. prices? And you adjust, you adjust ticket prices. Well, concessions aren't a big deal, but okay. you can adjust, you adjust ticket prices, you adjust salaries, you adjust your lineups. If, you're, if you guys are playing like bums, the audiences start staying away? I can tell you, yes, they do. Because <laughs> I, I I led the league in attendance the first year, I do not anymore, and haven't for quite some time. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was so. But it's a very detailed simulation. But they keep adding more stuff, and part of me wants to go back to out of the park baseball, you know, two thousand eight, which I have somewhere on a disc, because I at least understood everything and all of the parts and how everything fit together really, really nicely. And I had some great, great times with that because I understood the simulation so well. Now, every year, there's another part I have to learn. Now, if you're like some people in my league, and there are some people who really follow this stuff absolutely closely, they're huge, huge baseball fans. So first, I understand baseball a lot better than I do. I'm a big baseball fan, but not as deep as some of these people. So they know all the rules and all the waiver systems, like like like. It's they live and breathe it, but they also know the game system really well because they've been following it through all the evolutions. And this is just one more thing for me. And I'm kind of, what am I going to do next? I mean, what, how much more detail do I want in a simulation? So every year I keep running into this question: How much realism is too much for a simulation? Is there a point where baseball sims and football sims and basketball sims turn into flight sims? Where there, where you get rivet counters, looking at the sports sims and saying, "Well, we need it because you already have things like mood, and attitude, and is this player have a winning personality?" Wait, really? You're kidding. No, I'm not. Does he have leadership traits? It's like, I don't know. I mean, oh my god, it's like this is this stuff is I mean, this stuff is total bullshit. I mean, he might have no <laughs> leadership. This guy may have no leadership traits in college, but he might learn them under my great management skills because I'm a great <laughs> psychologist. I mean, how do I know? But this is an attribute they have because it's something people wanted because players have different personalities. You know, not everybody's going to be Albert Bell, uh, but, you know, some people are going to be great leaders and some people are going to be Albert Bell. But come on. I mean, do I need all of this stuff? I mean, I just want a guy who will strike out 250 a year and have an ERA under three and a half and... That's so, that is so like team chemistry becomes an issue. Team chemistry becomes an issue, but you know, so, I, so that yeah. seems but that seems so okay. But see, that seems like that seems so unquantifiable. And I thought like the per, the point of a game like this is to, is, is kind of you know I mean that's sort of the appeal of baseball, right? Is there's so much about it that's quantifiable. But really, what it does come down to, I mean, they have all this stuff, but it always does come down to the numbers. I mean, the guy who is you know regularly you know kicking ass besides Billy Abner in our league. Uh, S- S- Steve Bauman, who was the editor of Computer Games Magazine for a very long time. Uh, my first professional editor. Huge, huge baseball fan. Uh, one of the most knowledgeable guys in baseball history I've ever met. 
and he's a big sabermetrics guy. So he's all, you know, on base percentage. He's all money ball, and it's all on base percentage. So he has straight on base percentage, like, continued. I think he has one guy with more than 20 home runs. It's all money ball. (laughs) It's all money ball. If you read the book, that's what he plays every year. It's all money ball. And he's just regularly in the playoffs. I think he's going to win the World Series this year. And look, it's all on base percentage. And that's what he does, because he just knows the game. He doesn't have attitude, doesn't have anything else. It's all, all on base percentage and a couple of pitchers, and that's it. So you think a lot of these features that they add are, are kind of noise that sort of obscure the signal? They're, they're, they're noise, they're frill, they're realism, I don't know. Um, hmm. So I, want, I, have, I have a copy of Pure Sim Baseball as well, and I'm going to try to, the latest Pure Sim. I haven't installed it yet. So I'm going to run some Pure Sim, and one of Pure Sim's big things is uh, Pure Sim really wants to get the historical leagues kind of right. So I'm going to run some Pure Sim... You know, one of the league, the year that I really started following baseball really closely. Run Pure Sim 1982 and run Out of the Park 1982. Run them both like 25 times and just see what happens and see how it turns out. This isn't like absolute science because absolute science would do it 10,000 times, but I have a job and I'm <laughs> not that much of a nerd. Uh, but yeah, Out of the Park baseball is really my thing, and I really think we should do another show on sports. Sports like strategy games uh, sometimes. I think there's really something going on here, not necessarily sports sims, but I think there's a lot in the, in the action games, the way they try to simulate stuff and how they fail, but we have to think about some of that. I want to hear more about Blood Bowl and whether the AI still sucks. Um, yeah, that was, well, that's the game I've been playing, is Blood yes. Bowl. And the, yeah, the, don't, I never play single I played single player a little bit to practice the teams, but it cheats a lot. Uh, well, at least if it doesn't cheat a lot, it's just really bad dice a lot. Because I, um, you'll go an entire half without getting a single good die, and it will be incredibly frustrating. But the multiplayer is, um, despite all of the bugs that Cyanide put in there, the game is still there, and the game itself is really good. Um, so I'm playing in a rock paper shotgun league. They've got probably about sixty players in this league. It's crazy, crazy, but. Um, mm. The thing that Blood Bowl does really nicely is, I mean, it basically is the opposite of what it sounds like Out of the League does, in that all the players are exactly the same when they start. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, apart from different positions. So, like, I, I play a Lizardman team. So I've got two main kinds of players. I've got Big Saurus, which are um, bashy guys, and then I've got tiny little um, skinks, which are really good, well, not really good with the ball, but really fast, and they get killed very quickly. <laughs> but they all start with the same stats, and it's just about how you build your team after that. And um, and yeah, this is there's only been one edition of the game, but I'm still learning dozens of different rules and how they all interact with each other. So, um, I mean, it's a really good implementation of the board game rule set. Yeah, it is. Um, well, it is. Um, if you go by the classic rules, they added yes. a load of extra stuff with their blitz mode, which is terrible. So yes, I steer yeah. clear of that. But yeah, the, the classic mode. It's just basically you've done the board game okay, and then everything else is not so yeah. great. So, so I saw a tweet from you the other day that, that sort of caught my eye. Uh, you said something like you you had reached a point where you were good enough at the game that you 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 basically knew now that your performance was worse than it should be because the 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 luck, <laughs> the luck system can well, really turn a game. So um, that was probably out of uh, anger and a loss more than anything. So I when I started out the game, I, I was. It's it's quite a simple. Um, it's basically a bastardization of American football, um, and the idea is that you get a ball carrier and then you surround them with players so that they can't get hit. I mean, it's a pretty basic idea. 
Um, and getting even getting that done is quite difficult because players will get locked up and you can't get them free and everything. But um, I've I've got to the stage now where I can I can get all the ta I know the tactics I should be using and so I try and implement them. And the dice will it will interfere with that plan. And it's it's both the strength and the weakness of a dice based game is that you'll get amazing things happening occasionally, but sometimes you'll just be screwed at every turn. So um, I don't regret the fact that there's dice, but sometimes they just it just well, there's a there's even a a god a um, chaos god of dice in Blood Bowl called Nuffle. <laughs> really? Yeah. So um, whenever anything goes wrong, you just say that Nuffle hates you but in that game, and he, he might repay you someday. But yeah. So it's 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 become personified. Bad luck. I mean, this is something <laughs> that we've been. I mean, I, we've, I know that a bunch of us are trying to get a Blood Bowl thing going again. We had one going, but it ended up falling apart for one reason or other. People just didn't play their games. What it came down to. <laughs> uh, because that's the hard thing with Blood Bowl is like with all online leagues people don't play their games mm. it tends to fall apart now I mean RPS is a great community but I don't know about your scheduling problems have been hopefully not well they they basically give you 10 days for every game and if you don't um, play your game the person who made the most effort to get that game played gets the win yeah, but then, but, but then you don't get the so. you don't get the improvements. And so yeah, well, you thing. get some, but yeah, it's 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 basically play your game in ten days. That's that should be enough time, which yeah. it usually is. Um, yeah, it's and the improvements are really big. They're really important, especially if they, especially with the skinks, because you know, if they survive, yeah. you know, they're, they're, <laughs> if they, if you get one that lasts, you know, a few games, you can get one like that can run down the length of the field in like a turn, right? Well, in my in my team, I've got one which has got an agility up. Um, right. They start with agility three, which is mediocre. But when right. you've got agility four, that means that they can pretty much always pick up the ball and they can always dodge, and that's incredibly useful. Yes. <laughs> and it means that he's just got a massive target on his back, so people go for him all the time, which I can kind of exploit to my own means. It, it's funny; it does it plays like a strategy game, except no one's killing each other. Well, for the most part, yeah. no one's killing each other, which makes it really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it is. It's a strategy game about territorial control. I mean, it's a sports game. Yeah. It's, it's framed as a sports game, but it's about controlling it's it's about the defense it's a def, it's a defensive defensive game you protect your goal um and it's about placement of units and there can, can, can counter units yeah um so yeah i mean we had a show on it um so one, one, of, one of one of the things i remember about about blood bomb and one something that makes me really interested to uh to play it in a in a league and hopefully we can hopefully one of these days we can finally finally get that running <laughs> uh or or perhaps i'll just have to join the rps league uh and admit that admit that my colleagues here in america just cannot get their shit together for this game <laughs> uh but but i remember uh gillen writing a piece for for rps about yeah. uh about one player who basically decided to win by not playing the game uh, you know, where everyone else is playing this territorial control game and, you know, advancing down the field. Uh, he played a game where basically he viewed it as the point of the game was to murder enemy players. Yeah. Uh, until well, there's, there's no team left to win. That's that's kind of how it works. In the, um, There's two, two, broadly, two types of teams. There are the teams which are good at hitting stuff and the teams that are good at using the ball. And the teams that are good at hitting stuff, the way they usually win is by making the other team not have enough players to play properly and then they just dominate the field. Um, and then the agility teams spend most of the time not getting in contact with anyone um, and creating, basically filling the field with players so that it's hard to move around. So it um, sort of sounds like that bec that bec that can form like a season long like meta game where yeah. now these strategies are there's the strategy within the game and then there's uh, like any any great sports game then there's the season as a whole. Yeah. So um, quite often, if I get a level up with a, a player, I'll look at the next team I'm playing against and decide which. Um, skills to pick up to help me play them. So if I'm going up against a, a hitting team, I'll probably try and get 
defensive skills, but if I'm going up against an agility team, I'll try and get stuff like tackle. So yeah, it's and then, but then at the same time, you have to look at the broader picture and whether that's going to be useful beyond that one match. And yeah, it gets really complicated quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, then, I think I, I think I always take block as my first one. Yeah, well, it depends on the team, but yeah, that's usually a pretty safe skill to get. <laughs> but then there's there's almost joke teams and they're like ogres and goblins and things which don't play at all like anyone. Um, yeah. Like goblins are based entirely around their secret weapons, like um, chainsaws and stuff, which get sent off as soon as their the drive's over. And so they're just about causing as much damage as possible. But then you've got ogres, which are just six. Oh, you can have up to six massive bashy guys, and then the rest are snotlings, which are basically useless. But you can throw snotlings, so they just throw their players down the field with the ball. And then if if you're lucky, they won't die, and then they can run in and score. So yeah, it's mental. It's 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 basically like a a sports game that's it's got lots and lots of weird color added to it, which is really interesting. Like, yeah, I'm not sure I'd enjoy playing it if it was an American football sim turn-based, but because it's got all these different races, it's much more interesting. So, Troy, uh, we're, we're near the end of the show here, but yeah. I, I did want to bring up uh, your, your your forays into into racing. Uh, huh. listener, listeners of the show know that uh, my, my other great obsession in addition to strategy games is definitely racing, and I want to gently prepare them. There's a non-zero chance that when F1 2011 drops, uh, <laughs> Troy, Jen Cutter, and I will be talking about it for an hour. Uh, there, there's, there, there's, a, there's a slim possibility that that might have to happen. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll see how September shakes out. Uh, but so, so Troy, you've been, you've been trying to uh, work, work up your racing chops. I have. I mean, this is, you know, you and Jen, both very good friends, are you know, both racing nuts, especially F1. And I've been getting up most uh, Sunday mornings actually staying up, you know, some Sunday, into some Sunday nights uh, to watch uh, the F1 season this year. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Um, generally, you know, sitting on, sitting here at my computer watching an F1 feed and my Google Talk going off and Jen hopped up on caffeine telling me what to, <laughs> what to pay attention, telling me what to pay attention to. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it's been fun watching it, but, you know, it's, I, so I was like, I want to play some racing games because you do racing games and she does racing games. Tom Chick does a lot of racing games. You know, all three people who know these very well. I figured, well, why not? There's got to be something to these. Um, I started with F1 2010 and figured this is just way, way too hard. <laughs> uh, it's not something, this isn't a, that's not really a game you can just step into, uh, really. It's got, at first, the, the map's terrible. Um, the courses make no sense at all. Um, so I said from there to go on something a little bit lighter, so some Dirt 3, and I posted about my adventures with Dirt 3 and how the, the racing aids made it a bit too easy and learning some bad habits. And So I tried some of that, and then I tried some Shift 2, Unleashed, the last couple of weeks. And the big, my big lesson there is, holy crap, are racing games different from each other? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there is just so much variety between them, and the the big lesson I'm drawing between the two is this is something we talked about with Jen, is that Dirt 3 is like skating when it comes to the, the traction. Ah, uh, that's an interesting analogy, yeah. Because yeah, no you way. have no feel at all for the track when I'm turning. You don't have the braking lanes on, I have, the, I have to, to brake to turn, but I don't feel anything. Don't feel the traction, don't feel a car. I could, It says I'm slowing down, but I don't get any shake on the, like, my controller. Um, 
I don't get any pushback. I don't have any uh, sense. Oh, I thought, I thought you were talking about rally racing being different. <laughs> well, no, I'm, uh, no well, the r- rally racing is, is different for sure. Oh, but you're but talking I'm, about the physical I'm feel. Talking about, I'm talking about the physical feel of the race itself and the way the cars, the way the cars feel, the way the, the, way the games try to translate the movement of the car. What's interesting about Dirt Three? Did you, did you play? Are you playing? Which viewpoint are you playing from in Dirt Three? Um, play Dirt Three. I'm playing from. Uh, I'm playing third person. All right. I I was I played it third person to begin with, and I was finding a similar thing, and I switched to inside the car, and, and suddenly help. it works. Yeah, it's, okay. it's everything is moving, and it feels like everything. Well, that's kinda, that's probably because I, I went with the, with the, the the defaults. This is the thing. Maybe it's got to change yeah. the view because Shift Two defaults within the car. All right. And and like, I, feel, I feel perfectly. I'm actually, I'm actually doing. I, I have had a lot of crashes. Um, we have had a lot of crashes. I mean, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's finishing a race with both my doors on is really well, an accomplishment. That, but that, I am. But I'm getting better. I'm improving. I'm doing laps. I'm actually getting achievements. I'm. I'm hit. I, I had got my first podium. You know, the other night. I'm actually doing. I'm making steps. I'm actually getting. I'm still sucking, but not sucking as bad. But but I am learning things. about how different. First, I mean, yeah, right. Difference there are between rally races and differences between cars. But also difference between the way that, uh, ways the way that cars feel, the way that they reward you for different types of races. Um, it's. I mean, F1. I'm. I'm still not. I went back to F1 2010, and I. St- the map. I still can't get past that the, crap the, ass The map. minimap? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I turned it off last night, actually. I finally <laughs> realized, like, it just is... Okay. It, one, it is just... a distraction, and two, it is not helpful. So, how do I know when a turn is coming? I just look at the tr- just look at the line and pray? Okay, um, so... Have you have you played with the dynamic, the dynamic racing line on? I believe it is on, yes. Okay, so you got the green line, and you follow yeah, yeah. the green line, and then when it, you should break, it goes red, and yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, F one F one racing is about perfection. Uh, that's oh I mean, yes, that's, I know that. Yeah. Uh, so, so, what what I think my advice to you would be, uh, just just do not worry about do not worry about your own time. Do not worry about setting fast times. Just the the way the way it works is over the course of practice sessions, you follow that racing line, and you just go you just go as fast as you can without having a shunt. And uh, you know, one lap will follow, follow another, and slowly yep. you'll learn the course. And it can be, it can be, you know, I, I fairly admit, like a like a, a racing sim, uh, and and F one twenty ten is definitely closer to the the sim side of things. A racing sim can be a little bit tedious. I find that process of learning the tracks really kind of meditative. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I will like when I when I get sort of lost in lost in the race, lost in lost in the process of steering your car around these tracks i sort of just lose track of the world around me and even don't even i'm not even thinking about the game anymore i'm just sort of you know driving by instinct and feeling when yeah. i should turn i mean that, that was tom's advice in that thread was you know just focus on doing better just learn the tracks get better time do a better time better time better time and just focus on self-improvement now I want to race Silverstone, okay? I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be 50 years old when I'm racing Silverstone. Um so I want to be better now. So well, you you got to adjust the difficulty level too to your to an appropriate point. Oh yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not starting at a hard level here, dude. I mean, I mean I'm working yeah. my way up bit by bit. Um 
I, I mean, I'm playing on, but I, but I also can't start with, you know, everything on super easy because I don't learn anything. Right. I mean, that was I have to I have to have that has to be some challenge. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, when I was when I was playing Dirt Three with all the assists on, I was f- winning every single race because yeah. there was absolutely no challenge to it because I could go as fast as I wanted through every turn because it was breaking for me and I was beating everyone by thirty seconds. I was like, wow, I, racing is easy. <laughs> this is yeah. a piece of cake. Um, but you know, but once you take a couple of those things off, you don't have to take you don't have to take a lot of those things off for you to realize that you know. Really, there's a lot of reaction time to this, and I'm not quite 40, but I'm at the point where you know there's a lot of things that I did not learn. Um, this is not like flying a flight sim, I and mean, I could probably still go back to flying a flight sim. But when I'm, if I was to go back to playing, you know, Il 2 Sturmovik, and it's been a while since I played a flight sim, but I want to go back to them. One of the skills I want to pick back up. When I go back to that, the difference is my plane. There's only a couple of places it can crash. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I've got you know a f- couple of thousand feet to prepare for that, um, and other people aren't trying to crash into me; they're trying to shoot me, yeah, uh, but not crash into me. Um, so there's a lot of is- issues of speed and reaction time, learning how to use the mirrors, and there are a lot of things that I have to learn because racing is a genre that I have completely avoided. This is a completely new. Th- they're like shooters where I've played a few along the way, so I know the language. These aren't like RPGs, but I've played a lot of RPGs, so I know them very, very well. Um, but this is a completely new genre for me, which is why oh. it's so exciting to, to to actually jump in with like both feet. Because um, it is, and I'm, I mean, I have you to ask for advice, and I have Tom to ask for advice, and Jen thinks I'm hilarious. So uh, that's always fun. Thanks, Cutter. Love you, too. Uh but she's been, I mean, great for lots of tips, and here are some maps, and here you, you sent me that great, that great racing guide link, which I'm going to eventually get through. Um, so bit by bit, I'm learning some, and it's fun. I mean, it's fun to learn something entirely new and to break completely out of your comfort space. And this is just so alien to me. This is a completely new world to me. Um, and it's fun to break out of it. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying we should do a racing show. Um, and I think our listeners will probably break our necks. Uh, but you know, there's a surprising number. I think would actually be okay with it. Yeah, probably because because you know we 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 we're, we're pretty good with staying on topic, um, uh, and you know it gives us a chance to wax philosophical about you know whether Sebastian Vettel is an alien or a robot. <laughs> well, uh, this is you know I mean the the one thing I will say is. Uh, so, so just as, just as a couple practical matters, uh, the games are much more enjoyable and much easier if you have a steering wheel. Yeah, which uh, I don't by, have. Yeah, by far, uh, and it's it's a it's a worthwhile investment, honestly, uh, because I mean it's a force feedback steering wheel just elevates the experience uh, to the sublime. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, I, I use a track IR, and this is this is something I don't think a lot of racing games have solved. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of the corners at a GP circuit. Are rather sophisticated, where these they're long turns that sort of lean away from you. Yes. And if you can't look into the turn and see exactly the whole line your car has to follow, you end up doing this whole like jerk the wheel to the right, then go straight, then jerk it more right yep. as the turn continues, and that's you're you're losing time, you're losing traction, you're not smooth. And what what the track R lets you do, and I, I wish uh, more games allowed. Uh, what what GTR two had was a look to apex, 
uh, setting, where as your car turned, you know, as your car turned, your your in-game head would pivot and sort of look into the turn, uh, sort of mimicking what the track IR allows you to do smoothly. Uh, but that, but that, that it, you know, that really lets you uh, tackle a lot of these more challenging corners in a in a much faster and secure uh, fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it, but then but then that creates this huge problem for the racing genre, uh, which is it's a genre that's at its best when you've got two hundred dollars worth of crap yeah. uh, strapped to your computer uh, to 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 help you play it the way it's meant to be played. Uh, you know, for me, I, I, I will happily pay that premium. Uh, but but I do worry that a lot of people lose interest, you know, it, it becomes a similar problem to what war games go through, right? Where if you can capture people's interest, you know, they can get to that higher plane of gaming and, you know, play the more sophisticated stuff and really learn why it's great to have all this, you know, extra realism and all these, you know, all these extra dimensions to the basic gameplay. Uh, but the, But the trouble is getting there. You know, becomes this huge barrier, and you know if, if what you're telling people is well, if you can make this huge investment, be it time or equipment, uh, then boy, it's, it makes so much more sense, and you really see what's special here. Uh, but that still leaves us with the problem of of that of that first pitch, and I, I think where racing games uh, they, they ha- there are a lot of entry level racing games, but they're arcade racers that really bear no resemblance to what a what a proper racer is and i think codemasters is really the only studio that tries to sort of bridge that gap mm-hmm. yeah uh, in the arcade stuff like dirt is definitely getting there um i think also the fact that the um like 360 controllers are getting more ubiquitous in bz gaming that i've like everyone seems to have one and the analog control on that makes such a difference in a racing game um compared to using the keyboard which is just not really tenable. yeah that's, that's impossible yeah yeah <laughs> So yeah, uh, it, you know it's it's ex- it's exciting to hear you uh, see you getting into this genre, Troy, and getting into the sport. Uh, I don't know if we, if we do talk about if we do end up talking about F one twenty eleven either by itself or in the context of sports games. I think what 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 really interests me about the F one series right now is it is taking a real stab at being a proper sports game, the way EA makes yep. sports games. Uh, as opposed to a racing game, uh, it's 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 subtly creating its its own little genre uh, that I, I'm very curious to see if it takes off. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I hope it does. I mean, I like to see a proper I like to see a proper sport proper F1 you know team management uh, type game. It's it's great. I mean, I, I I'm having fun learning to race. I hope that I can master the F1 2010 event. Well, F1 2011 be a part of any chance of mastering 2010 uh so i'm looking forward to it uh it's great and it's been fun and you've been a great help uh, like i said that guide you linked me to i'm going to be eventually getting around to reading it this weekend i hope and pick up some tips so yeah like like any great starter guide there's stuff for for people of all experience levels in it yes so all right well I mean, so, maybe you should link to that at the bottom of the podcast you know i you know i think i will because uh it, you know it's something that that should be shared with more people uh, so anyway, thanks so much to you both for uh, just a fantastic discussion. Uh, it, it's I, I love having a show where we can touch on all these things that, uh, you know, I mean, the frustration doing a podcast l- like ours is there's a lot of things that just don't quite fit into the structure of the show, and it's good to be able to clear the decks this way. And uh, Phil, you know, thanks for being a fantastic guest, and I hope you'll be back soon. Yeah, it'd be good. I'm sure I'll play more strategy games next time. <laughs> 
You did better than I did. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's true. All right, so that does it for our show, everybody. Uh, as always, if you if you enjoy this episode, uh, please retweet it, uh, share it with you know people, you know, spread the love, really. Uh, 3MA is just a gift that should be shared with with more gamers. Uh, I, I firmly believe that, and I know I know Troy agrees with me. Yes, absolutely. And please don't forget to uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, I can't see the American reviews anymore, but I'm hearing good things. Oh, they're they're, they're totally great. They, we're we're very big in America, Troy. I don't know I don't know how we're <laughs> yeah, doing in we're Canada. Not, we're doing okay in Canada. The Canadian reviews are. If you're in Canada, please rate and review us as well. Uh, we have fewer reviews in Canada. Uh, please do it uh, there too. Hell, rate us everywhere around the world. Yeah, come on, Canada. I mean, we've are, are you? America's already proven its dominance at hockey. Are, do you, are you really going to make what? This? What? 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 What are you talking about? Dominance of hockey. <laughs> Boston has more Canadians than Vancouver does on the team. <laughs> so I'm going to claim the Bruins Stanley Cup for, for fucking Canada. Oh yeah, well played, sir. That that's very clever. Uh, so it was actually a Canadian win, and surely it was probably <laughs> just rowdy American tourists who burned down Vancouver. Yeah, I'm uh, going so. to blame Seattle. <laughs> All right, uh, thanks everyone for listening, and thanks to you both. And uh, well, and as always, uh, thanks to Michael Hermes for wrestling this rather rambling episode into a coherent format. Uh, so thanks to all, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, hopefully a topic that's a little more structured, but if not, we've proven we can make that work anyway. Uh, Good night, everybody. Bye, all. Bye.